the book of Hosea is a story, it's a powerful illustration, where God uses a man to marry an unfaithful woman to illustrate that the Lord is in a relationship with an unfaithful people. And I think that this illustration applies to us. And there's something very powerful about the book of Hosea. If you took the time to read it this week, I know we've got you on the, you know, the, the yearly Bible reading plan, so you probably spent most of your time in Romans. But if you did try to conquer Hosea, you'll see that it's a, it's a very heavy book in, in the language that it uses. And when God is bringing to the surface the injustice and the sin of his people. It's just like, oh, this is really heavy stuff. But if you're able to read between the lines, if you will, or to look at the story in the big picture, not only is it applicable today, like we can really learn something about God and we can really learn something about ourselves in this story. The subtitle of the whole series is It's a Journey of Self-Discovery. And today's topic title is, like, do you really know who you are? Have you thought about that lately? And that, that's a really great question to ask. Do you know who you are? It's a confusing times. Most adults are really even confused about who they are or what they're all about. And, well, frankly, we've fragmented and we put our identities into other things we put our identities into political systems and social systems and a lot of different identity issues that frankly have nothing to do with the scripture and what the word of God says about your identity is very specific he says about you that your identity lies in the fact the truth that you are a son or a daughter of the Lord. We are his children. This is the, the primary idea about who we are. So if you want to get your Bibles, and we're going to, in essence, read a little bit between the lines today in the book of Hosea. The airplane's watching online. Chapter 2. Let's go, I'm sorry, let's go to chapter 1. Verse 10. Yet the Israelites will be like the sands of the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it is said to them, you are not my people. Now, what, what's being stated here is that God's people, the Israelites, have been unfaithful. And it has been spoken over to them that, like, you're going to act this way, then you're not my people. Okay? And yet, they will be called sons of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will be united and they will appoint a leader 
of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Chapter 2, verse 14. Therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert. And underline this. I will speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards. I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as she did in the days of her youth, as she did in the day when she came out of Egypt. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. And then verse 19. I will betroth to you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and I will acknowledge the Lord. Now what is going on is that God and, and Hosea, in tandem, they're saying to this unfaithful wife, you are my wife. The Lord is saying to an unfaithful people, you, you are my children. You are the sons of God. You are the daughters of Zion. You have been betrothed to me. If you read the book, some of the other verses are a little heavier talking about the unfaithfulness of the unfaithful wife. But there's something very interesting going on here. Although both God and Hosea will highlight the sin and the injustice that God's people have done, they're bringing it all to the surface. They're shining a light on the situation and, and the sin kind of uncomfortable. And yet, although God's highlighting these things, he is not name-calling. Okay, I'm going to say one word, and kids, you can ask your parents later. God and Hosea don't call the unfaithful wife a prostitute. He says that she is doing these things, but he does not call her a prostitute. What we read here earlier is that, no, no, that, that might be the facts. That might be what's going on. But there's a higher truth, and that higher truth is what God believes about his people and what God sees in his children. And as we're going to see, what God speaks into existence. This applies to us. Now, in, a, in our culture, we're all, everybody's confused. We're confused about what's going on. We're confused about who we are. We're confused about what party we should belong to. Furthermore, our kids are confused about what gender they are these days. It's a very confusing world that we're living in. And we have witnessed the incredible oratory skills of our leaders and our politicians and even our spiritual leaders, their ability to do something very tactful, 
in the area of name-calling. Have you seen this? Have you watched the news lately? Have you watched all the name-calling that takes place? Now, I'm not saying that... Well, how do you know if a politician is lying? <laughs> okay. Um, it is a, it's, a, it's a true fact that politicians lie. We all probably can agree with that. Just pick your politician. At some point in time, they, they've, they've lied about something. But our, our language and our communication and our rhetoric has changed from saying, oh, Senator so-and-so lied in this case. We've changed it to Senator is a liar. Okay, do you see the difference? And there is, I mean, I know that seems like a nuance, but there's actually a very, it's a powerful difference when we are blatantly calling somebody what their actions have done. Let me boil it down to some maybe everyday real life. You as an individual, have you ever called yourself a name? Have you ever gone into negative self-talk where you made a mistake and then like, oh, Josh, you're an idiot. Have you, has anybody ever called themselves an idiot, either in their head or vocally? Has anybody ever said, you're stupid, why are you so stupid? Okay, so this is, um, this is something that we do. Now, I'm not saying that I have never done something that hasn't been idiotic. I've done idiotic things, amen? I, we've all done idiotic things. But my actions don't identify who I am as a person. Just because I've done some idiotic things does not label myself as an idiot. Do, do you see where I'm going with this? And if, if you've fallen into this trap, and again, I'll be the first to admit that I, that I do this. I do this negative self-talk thing. And then in those moments where I'm going to trash myself, either in my mind or even verbally, I have to, what we're practicing, hold that thought and make that thought obedient to Christ before I, before I begin to call myself a name. Because when I call myself a name that is other than what the Lord is calling me, you ready for this? Hang on for a second. If I call myself a name that is other than what the Lord has seen in me, what he believes in me, what he's declared over me, anything else is going into agreement with what the devil says about you. So let's watch our negative self talk and what you call yourself and what you are saying about yourself and what you're declaring over your mind and over your spirit let's hold that thought captive now if you're calling yourself an idiot chances are you're probably calling other people idiots too would you agree if you're, if you're going there to yourself, then you're probably doing it to other people as well. If you're married, if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if you're in a, a, a romantic relationship of any sort, 
and you find yourself not seeing eye to eye. Well, why is that? I have complete permission from Pastor Larry to do this. Pastor Larry is an amazing man of God. But there's been times where he's done idiotic things. I've seen him almost cut his thumbs off at least twice in my life. I've seen him fall off ladders. Like, now, if my mom would say, Larry, you're an idiot. Okay, have you ever called your spouse a name? It might be true. It, I mean, like the actions might be there. Your spouse most likely, if your spouse is a male, your spouse has probably done some idiotic things. Now, it is okay to say, Larry, you almost cut your fingers off. That's an idiotic action. Like that would be okay to highlight that, right? But it is not okay, husbands and wives, to call your spouse an idiot or a moron or a buffoon because that's not what God believes about them. God has a higher standard for them than they have for themselves. God has a higher view of them than you do as their spouse. And so there's power and there's healing and there's a strong marriage. A strong marriage takes place when we are not falling prey to the name calling and when we are beginning to, as a couple, build each other up with words of encouragement. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. You have a decision. The next time you're annoyed with your spouse, the next time you, maybe you're annoyed with your kids, a coworker, I might be taking it too far, but the next time you're annoyed on the freeway, you have a split second to make a decision whether you are going to choose life or death according to the word of God. You have the power to declare with your mouth life or death, whether you are going to speak life into that individual, whether you're going to choose encouraging words, whether you're going to discipline your mind and your mouth to frame maybe your disappointment in a way that is constructive, something that God would want you to say, a path that God would want you to lead you into in tense times. Or you have, basically to bless, or you have the power to curse in it within a moment, moment's instant. Now, cursing is, uh, again, it's, it's calling, it's name calling, it's labeling, it's, it's saying that you are this, you are a bad person. That, that's the cursing that takes place. Now, here's the thing when we do it. If my wife continually spoke into me 
but she was not speaking life. She was speaking curses. If on a continual daily basis, maybe she saw that I left the dishes out or, you know, maybe I didn't do my laundry. But on a daily basis, if she kept on saying, Josh, you're lazy. Josh, you're lazy. Josh, you're lazy. What would happen in a year's time of hearing that? Well, I might just believe that lie, and I might just go into agreement with the devil. Does that make sense? Now, if my wife speaking life into me, like, Josh, you can do this. You can, you can fold your socks. I believe in you. You can do this. You can, you can put the dishes in the sink. I, you have a college degree. You completed that. You can at least get the dishes into the sink. You, you, can, you can be an organized person. So if, if my wife was continually speaking those words of life into me, eventually I'm going to believe that too. In the area, so this is kind of how we can, you know, speak life into ourselves, speak life into our spouses. This is the tricky part. How do we do it? Maybe with our kids. Now, you think that we're confused. Our, conf- our kids are dealing with things that are more confusing than we could possibly imagine. The identity thing is a big deal for the youth and well, they're trying to even figure out what gender there are. And there's like, I don't know how many genders there are. And that's, that's like so confusing. So what do you do? How do you parent in this situation when maybe your kids are confused or your kids' kids are, your kids' friends are confused? Well, you can do one of two things. You can get into the finger-pointing and the name-calling game. Or... You can choose to speak life into your children to where when the confusion does take place, there's a grounding, there's a security, there's a confidence in who they are. But it starts with us speaking life into them as soon as we possibly can. And at any given point and at any given time, no matter how old they are, like it is our job as parents, and as grandparents to encourage our kids. And we do it with words of life and words of encouragement. When I was in junior high, like I didn't, like I didn't know what I was. I didn't know who I was. At least that was my experience. I didn't know if I was a jock or uh, they didn't have emos back then. I didn't know if I was goth. I, I didn't know what music I liked. I thought I liked certain music, but I didn't. I didn't know what click that I was supposed to click into. It's lost in my identity. And it was around that time. Wasn't at a church event. Wasn't anything special. I think it was just dinner. And my mother declared over me that, well, Josh has always known who he is. Even as a young boy, he's always known who he is. So she declared that. She spoke that. And from, maybe from her perspective, it was true. But from my perspective, well, it wasn't reality. But when we're talking about the prophetic word of God that builds people up, the prophetic word of God is more powerful than reality. 
It has the ability to create things that don't exist. And see, I'm never going to forget that word that, that my mom spoke to me. And I don't even think that she realizes that I was struggling with who I was at that time. But what she said built a confidence in me. Like, wow, I, I know who I am. I didn't, I didn't realize that I knew who I am. Does that make sense? And so maybe some of you, you just don't realize that you're a godly man. Because maybe no one's ever told it to you. I'm telling it to you now. You're a godly man. Maybe you don't realize that you're a go-getter because no one's ever told that to you. But no, it's in there. It, it, it needs to be spoken. It needs to be declared. It needs to come out. You need to identify with how God has created you. What we say, what we declare, what we speak, is vitally important. We don't think that it's more important than our actions are, but Jesus would beg to differ. Matthew 12, 36 says this. All right, hang on to your seats. I tell you, on that day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak. Now, we, I just thought I was going to give an account for all the bad things that I've done and all the good things that I've done, and hopefully they weigh each other out and I get in. Like, I thought that that's what I was going to be judged for. That's not the gospel, by the way. Sorry. But that's, what, that's our mindset, yeah? Like, I'm just going to be judged about what I've done or haven't done. But what Jesus says is that, no, you're actually even going to be judged by what comes out of your mouth. And so we have this incredible reset right now to think about what we say and how we say it. And if it is, if it is going to breathe life into a situation and into our kids, into our communities. So we've gone with our individual, we've gone with our relationships, we've gone with our kids and our family. I want to encourage you all to think about ways that you can use your mouth to activate your family with words of encouragement that come from the Word of God. We need to quit cursing ourselves. We need to quit cursing our families. God's got a good plan for us. But the next step up is our communities. Are we cursing our communities? Are we, are we name-calling our cities? Do governments make bad decisions? They do. Do businesses make bad decisions? They do. But we need to believe what God believes about communities. And it's very, it's, 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 it's very simple. It's, you know, if God's people, if the nations, if our country would turn from its wicked ways if they would repent, then God would heal the land. That's what he wants to do. This is what God believes. God believes that, and this is probably even a harder, like, 
Like, I, I got faith for you and your family. I believe that God can transform your life. He can transform your families. This is what we believe. This is what we see. I don't have as much faith for our governments. And yet the Lord does. He doesn't really care what I believe because what God believes about his people and what God believes about the nations is different than what I believe. And so God can do it. God can change a culture. God can lead us into repentance. He can lead an entire people group into repentance. So we've got to believe that he can. And let's just push it even a little bit further. I believe that God can make COVID go away. I believe it. Like, it's not our experience. I've got a couple of COVID-infected staff right now. It's not our experience. But I have to choose to believe that God can do a miracle, that he can do a breakthrough. Is it conditional? It could be. That's, that's God's decision or not. I don't, I don't know for sure. But this is what... This is what Hosea says. Chapter 13, verse 14. This is what God believes and this is what God will do. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. He will ransom us from the power of the grave. What does that mean? That means he's going to pay the price to keep us from death. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Isn't that encouraging? Where, O grave, is your destruction? I do believe if we hold every thought captive, if we work on ourselves, if we begin to remove logs from our eyes before we start pointing out specks in every part of society, I do believe that revival takes place from the home first. I believe a church, a community that is using the prophetic gift to encourage one another, to strengthen one another in the Lord, well, that can change the culture. I believe that when the church steps away from finger-pointing, name-calling, and labeling, and when the church steps into her rightful place in identity, in that, that we are sons of God, daughters of Zion, like we are, we are firm that we know who we are in Christ Jesus. The body of Christ will get rid of all this garbage that says that you need to be a specific, you know, churches need to market to specific people, which isn't biblical, by the way. We just, we, we, we're, we're, we're all God's people. I believe that once we do that, we will begin to see the healing of our nation. Now, it might not seem like reality. It might not be your experience. But God's truth and his word and his faithfulness is stronger and goes beyond our experiences. Amen? Amen. Right, if I could get the band to come to the front and I'll...
close with one last scripture. Maybe some of you are dealing with difficult situations where it feels like there's death, like there's no way out, like there's no answers. I want to encourage you in your situation to speak life into your situations instead of curses and death. Ezekiel 37 says this, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, you prophesy over these bones and say to them, old dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God that these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. This is the promise for us that God's going to breathe new life into us. He did it when he started us, the church at Pentecost in the upper room. The breath of God was breathed on them, and they changed and transformed the world. The same opportunity awaits us today. If you want to grab your element, and we're going to receive communion. This is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. It symbolizes that we are in the body of Christ, that we are a part of our body, that that is our identity, that we are the body of Christ. Part of the body of Christ is his mouth. When we receive the body, receive the mouthpiece of God. To you, what you are saying is what he would say and not what you would want to say. The solution, the provision to whatever is vexing you, relies, it, 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 the answer is in the body of Christ and in the power of the tongue to speak life or death into a situation. Receive the body of Christ and the mouth of God. been saying this quite often, and I think that today's message is, it fits quite well. The world is going to call you names. You know, not just your spouse, but your world is going to call you names. They're going to call you a loser. They're going to call you a failure. Whatever horrible thing that they can think up with, they're going to call you a hypocrite. And you have to choose not to go into agreement with those lies. The religious spirit is going to call you a sinner. Which is partly true. Because some of you sinned this week. I don't know who you are, but there's been a few of you that blew it this week. So that's the reality, right? We're all slipping up. We're all messing up. We're all making mistakes. But today, when you drink of this cup, I want you to think about your identity in a different way. 
When you drink of this cup, this cup provides a path to change your identity from a sinner to a saint that occasionally sins. So, saints, receive the blood of Jesus Christ and sin less this week. God, I thank you so much for the forgiveness of my sins. I pray that you lead us all into a personal a personal redemption, a personal turning towards you, a repentance of the heart on an individual basis. May our families turn back to you. May our lost sons and daughters return. May our churches and communities repent and turn towards you. May this nation repent and turn towards you. God, we believe you can do this. Help our unbelief, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you guys. Um, offering, I'm going to close with a benediction, but I'm also going to pray for the offering. We're doing it a little bit different today, not passing the baskets. Uh, the offering box is there on the way out. Also, on your bulletin, 
there's this really cool QR code that you can scan with your phone, with your camera. If you've gone to a restaurant, you know how to do it. Um, and we can also give that way as well. But God bless you guys as you continue to give back to the Lord. Let me send you off with a blessing. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the blessing of this church that we can pivot and worship you in the parking lot. God, we are grateful for the weather and we're grateful for these plastic chairs. So God, right now, I pray that you bless our offerings to you, that it will continue to advance the kingdom of God. And God, we ask that uh, we meet inside next week, that this COVID number goes down, that people are healthy. We declare health and protection from this plague over our people here at Granite Creek. May it not touch our pastors anymore. May it not touch our families anymore. Keep us, Lord, from this pestilence in your name. May the God himself, the God of peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May your whole body, your soul, your mind, may they be kept blameless, only declaring blessings and not curses until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has called you, you with that specific identity, you with that calling from God that if it doesn't get done, it, if you don't do it, it doesn't get done. The one who has called you, he is faithful to you to the very end. He's never going to leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's always got a way for you. Be blessed, my church. God bless you guys. Have a great week in the Lord. Hope to see you soon. And uh, yeah, we'll be back in the, indoors next time, but check your email. God bless.